In a world with too much pop culture to consume, one man and one woman will argue about it until they get bored. It's an epic battle between obsession and indifference, and the winner will determine... Well, very little, actually. Eric Johnson and Emily Jones star in Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. Whoever wins, we're still losers. Welcome to Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, the podcast where we argue about something one of us is totally obsessed with. And the others have never even seen. I'm Eric Johnson. And I'm Emily Jones. If this is your first time listening, you can find more Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob at gvnpodcast.com. And you can also find all of our past episodes on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music. And as you probably know, this season we're shaking things up and bringing in 10 guest geeks, friends of ours who are joining in to school us on the stuff that both Eric and I have managed to miss in our general pop pop culture consumption. Amazingly, there is stuff that we have missed. Today we're talking about The Fast and the Furious. It's a 2001 film about the world of underground crime and street racing in Los Angeles, starring Paul Walker, Vin Diesel, and Michelle Rodriguez. And, you know, this is really obscure. I don't think anyone listening to this has ever heard of The Fast and the Furious. Yeah, I definitely hadn't heard of it until... A little art house film. Yeah, totally. Um, but since neither Emily nor I has seen this movie, or at least in my case, any of the Fast and the Furious Yeah, no, I haven't seen any of them either. Um, we are delighted to welcome today's guest geek, Ken Lee, to the podcast. Ken, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So before we go watch this movie, tell the listeners what your connection is to it, because I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, so like a million years ago, I wrote uh, a few stories, one of them about, about the, the New York uh, street racing scene. And one of them, uh, which was published in Vibe magazine, ended up being the inspiration for uh, the first one. For the first movie. The, the story was Racer X, if I remember correctly. Right, right. And uh, it was a story about this guy who had been a street legend and he was trying to get off the streets. And the story sort of uh, chronicles how uh, you know, he was trying to take what he was doing uh, and, and what he was famous for on the streets onto uh, the legal racetracks. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this this does, documentary adaptation. I was going to say, does that does that mean that this is like, I mean, like somewhat based on a true story, or is this pretty far off from what you're what you were writing about? Well, as I remember, I think there were nuclear subs in my story too. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was loosely based. Um, I think they captured the. Uh, the essence of, you know, what it was like to race on the streets. And they essentially crafted, uh, actually merged several narratives um, together to, to, to create this film. Or actually all, all 75 of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're, we just had, what, the eighth Fast yeah, and the, the Furious Yeah, the eighth movie? one, just a fate of the Furious spelled with, an, with a numeral eight. That's, God, what a, what a, <laughs> what a thing. fate. Um, so anyway, so we're going to be discussing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, the thing is though, like I hear, I hear like great things about, about these movies from like people that, that whose opinions I respect and, and who like, you know, I trust to, to tell me, you know, movies are good. So I'm keeping an open mind. Yeah. So am I. Uh, so we're going to go watch this movie now. We're going to take a quick break here, give everyone a chance to go find it. And so, uh, just so you know, after this break, spoilers for The Fast and the Furious. And, you know, like I said, this is an art house film. It's very complicated. Yeah, plot, you might have so... a hard time finding it. 
to, you know, to rent online. No, that's a lie. It's on Amazon no. and iTunes and Google and Vudu to rent for $3, just like basically everything that we watch for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> or you can also buy it 9 10 bucks. Vudu, iTunes, Amazon, all the usual places. Or honestly, you probably has a, have a friend who owns it because like most people have. I think Eric and I are strongly in, in the minority here on pe- people who have not seen this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So we will be back with Ken Lee to talk about The Fast and the Furious after this break. Hey everyone, before we get to our discussion of The Fast and the Furious, a quick heads up on something. If you listened to last week's discussion of Star Trek, then this is going to sound familiar. We recorded this episode a long time ago. I think this was early May of 2017, so yeah. If you're wondering why we say that Rogue One was the most recent Star Wars movie, that's because it was at the time. It's also why we talk about the Fire Festival, which now feels like ancient history. Thanks for understanding, and enjoy the rest of the show. And we're back. We've just watched The Fast and the Furious, which is a documentary based on Ken Lee's story about street <laughs> racing. Uh, no, uh, so... This movie, I gotta say, I am really looking forward to getting into this movie, talking about this. As am I. Uh, but on this show, we always start things off, give the geek uh, the chance to talk about the thing first. So, Ken, why don't you start off and tell us uh, what you like about The Fast and the Furious? Uh, I think um, on some level, it, it did capture the feeling of being at a street race. Uh, you know, there were scenes where uh, you know the, the kids were gathered, although... My version of it was much, much less prettier. <laughs> right. You mean they don't all look like Michelle Rodriguez and Vin Diesel? Yeah, I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about the, bikini- <laughs> the bikinis on the streets, which is highly <laughs> inefficient um, trying to get around. So, I, yeah, it was, that was more of a kind of Southern California scene. And the story I wrote about was based in New York. And part of the reason why I, I, I thought it was more interesting set in New York be, it was because in Southern California, you kind of inherit a car, you know, as you grow up and you kind of inherit the culture. In New York, uh, you know, most of us don't really own cars. So for kids, especially for kids who don't have a lot of money uh, to get into something like this is a very deliberate uh, thing. And it's hard. You know, it's hard to find parking. It's hard. You know, the weather's terrible. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, cars are expensive and insurance is sky high. So for you know, for this scene to develop in in New York City um, was all the more interesting to me as a from a story perspective. Um, but what I liked also about the movie was uh, probably one, if not the you know, not the only, but definitely one of the strongest reasons why it has lasted through um, eight incarnations, and it's the casting. Um, so in the movie, you know, you see you know poly a lot of cultures. You see white dudes, you see black dudes, you see Latino, Asians. Um, and that's exactly what it was like, you know, in the scenes that I were, you know, I documented for the story. Um, and I think that resonated with uh, the audience that it didn't even know it had, that it reflected what it looked like on the streets uh, across the United States, where, you know, this was a thing that actually brought a lot of cultures together, um, unified by, you know, a love of driving fast, which I, I can't imagine something being more American than that. <laughs> like, I think 
you know, whereas most movies don't get it right. And in fact, I think six months before the Fast and the Furious came out, another movie that was almost identical, um, starring Angelina Jolie and Nicolas Cage called Gone in oh, 60 yeah. Second had come out. And we thought at the time when that movie came out that for sure Fast and the Furious was in a tank. That movie, I'm not quite sure how well it did, but it did not it's have so bad. eight versions of it. Right. It's like, it's if you if you think about it, it's like almost the same movie. It's about a car theft <laughs> ring, you know. It's about like you know trying to come clean, um, and you know it's just the audience is just uh, for one reason or another really uh, you know gathered around this one and not the other one. I think the casting had a lot to do with it. I would ask on the topic of the casting. I want to read this is a little quote from from Racer X that I pulled up the article uh, online here. The hundreds of kids who line New York hotspots like Francis Lewis Boulevard in Queens or the Fountain Avenue Strip in Brooklyn every weekend are an urban polyglot of Puerto Rican, Dominican, Chinese, Filipino, Jamaican, Italian, and other ethnicities who have one thing in common. They love hurtling metal, meat, and rubber through the concrete jungle at dangerous velocities. And I gotta say, yeah, I totally... Those are you some know, very, very nice sentences, by the way. <laughs> yeah, Ken knows how to write. It's, it's, I know, it's shocking. at it. <laughs> um, no, I, I have to say, like that, uh, I it's really interesting to me that you that you bring that up, and also that you bring that up as a way that it's like that it reflects reality, um, because that's one of the things that I have heard about these movies from the people that I mentioned that you know people I respect talking about these kinds of things who uh, who are people you would not expect to be like super big fans of like a monster blockbuster franchise like this. People like Roxanne Gay. For instance, the the you know feminist writer is like a huge fan of these movies and is always tweeting about them when there's one coming out. And one <laughs> of the things one of the things that she always says when people like ask her about like what the hell like why are you so into these movies is she talks about you know j- one of the things she loves about them and that one of the things I appreciated watching it is that very um, like apparently true to reality of this world but also very american and yet rare on screen kind of just like casual diversity like there's a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds who are a bunch of different colors who are just all on your screen like imagine it's and refreshing it, <laughs> it seems like the, the the default in hollywood is like every couple years they remember that oh right maybe <laughs> non-white people go to the movies too like it, it's it's like a revelation every time um so <laughs> emily, emily i like that phrase uh that writer mentioned casual diversity it's exactly that it's a uh, you know it's they're not written as you know um minority characters they're just they right. just happen to happen to be that you know be that ethnicity and like I think sometime after the third or fourth uh, uh, in the fa- franchise, it essentially became kind of like a like a superhero movie. And how many <laughs> minority superheroes are there? I mean, it's just you know where they fly out of the sky and you know they get all oiled up. You know, I've never seen so many minorities oiled up in my life. I mean, around these. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing is, again, like that, and that's that's what I mean by by saying casual too. Is like you know the movie is not about it's not about anybody's like you know struggle to overcome some kind of you know it's not about their ethnicity they just are you know which again is the you know just reality of the world so anyway we've got that part out of the way also the cars are like really cool and they go really fast and like it's really (laughs) exciting to watch right like there's one thing about the cars um and i i think they pretty much uh i think over the series they pretty much abandoned the idea about the cars like one of the reasons i wrote about wrote the story was not just that there was a street racing scene which had been going on since i don't know since the american graffiti era 
Um, but also that the kind of cars they were using um, when I was, uh, you know, working on this story were, you know, essentially cheap, shitty Hondas, right? That the, the kind that you would, mm-hmm. you know, that you would inherit get from your mom, you know, to go go buy groceries. Like the like the Jetta that the one guy raises. Right, right. Like just sort of, you know, really low powered cars. And yeah. yeah, these kids were would be able to take these cars and turn them into these monsters that would go, you know, as fast if not even faster than Ferraris. Um, and that was a kind of arrogance, um, you know, where they could, you know, when a Honda could actually beat like a muscle car you know, at, at a race, that was a very cool thing. And um, you know, that was also exciting. And that sort of was a new era in street racing um, when I had written about it. And it's reflected in the first movie in the opening scene. It's like actually these Honda Civics that take down that crazy truck. Right. Um, and they're like buzzing and roaring. And, you know, the Hondas don't sound like that. They're kind of known for being really super quiet. Right. Um, so that was also kind of like a, a theme in the whole, uh, that, that whole story. And even in this movie. Well, and like Honda Civics were, they specifically said that was the cars that had done the robbery. And like, they were, they were so common that like, that's part of what kept him from figuring out who it was for a while. Cause like everybody in the scene had, had Honda Civics like hiding in the garage. Um, And yeah, something that uh, on, on that topic, um, I had read this article back when you and I worked together, Ken, because it was something that the uh, Ken Ken was the editor in chief of Recode, where I work, and uh, it was this big like discovery that oh my god, Ken Lee's name is in the credits for the Fast and the Furious. I actually um, like you had told me actually that that you know I knew I knew that the you know that this was like based on an article that that you wrote. Um, well, Eric had told me that it was based on an article that you wrote, but yeah, I was like I. I, like, I knew that in my brain, but had kind of forgotten and also wasn't expecting it. So then when I got to the closing credits, it was, like, from an article by Ken Lee. I was like, oh, my God. Whoa, wait, we're talking to him today. Oh, my God. Like, I got all starstruck. So, hey, you're in the credits. That's awesome. So, so, but not only that, not, not only was it <laughs> adapted from, for, for, from the, the story, but then um, as I was taking notes, most of my notes that I was taking while I was watching this were, like, just, like, queries about the <laughs> the reality of a lot of this stuff Mine too. and then and and so so i dug up the old article and i was shocked that that nos that nitrous oxide being used as a way to boost these 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 beaters was like that's a real thing that the the, the real guys used right i need nos i need nos no my, my car topped out at 140 miles per hour this morning amateurs don't use nitrous oxide i've seen the way you drive you got a heavy foot You'll blow yourself to pieces. Yeah, yeah. World War II era technology. They used to use it in bomber planes to make it go faster. So, like, one of the first things I've learned um, while researching for the, while reporting the story out was in this, like, dingy garage in Staten Island. And this tuner mechanic was like, well, okay, here, basically, this is what makes a car go fast. Goes fast. Um, it, you know, if you can burn gas at a higher temperature faster and get rid of the exhaust gases faster, you go faster. Um, so NOS actually um, helps gas burn, you know, at a higher rate. Um, so they go faster. Very simple. And do cars uh, that have NOS in them do they they blow up when you shoot them a couple times? Is that is that also scientifically the case? Um, you know, the good mechanics know how to uh, brace the engine for stuff like that, and bad, me- <laughs> bad mechanics don't. So yes, they do blow up. <laughs> and and do they burn green? Because that was something I noticed in that explosion too. <laughs> no, I wish it did though. That would be super. Oh, cool. that would be cool. Although it I will say, cool. I will say, speaking of the explosions though, that was also something that I appreciated. Was like 
That was like the only explosion when someone like like there was a specific reason that the car blew up was because like someone shot directly in the engine and there was not like because like, you know, I'm so used to um, especially I mean, I watch I, I'm I'm a, a James Bond obsessive. So, you know, I've watched all of those movies a million times and also like your standard like kind of, you know, bad action movie or whatever. Literally every time a car would spin off the road or go off a cliff. I mean, in any blows up in any does. other movie, <laughs> Michelle Rodriguez's car would have blown up the second he pulled her out of it. You know, and 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 the the guy in the motorcycle that like after Vin Diesel, you know, comes out of nowhere and hits him off the road on his motorcycle and he goes careening off somewhere that would have blown up on impact like in, in any other. And that, that was another thing that I appreciated. I was like, I feel like the only explosion was the one where like, you know, there was like a, a volatile gas in the car and that made it explode. Like it makes sense. And the evil Asian dude who comes back and shoots the car <laughs> up. <laughs> that was so yeah, great. exactly. <laughs> who I only, who speaking of James Bond, I primarily recognize him as one of the North Korean guys from Die Another Day. So I was like, yeah, that's possible. <laughs> um, just like more generally about this movie. So I wrote down kind of my expectations going in, knowing <laughs> only of just what I have seen from the trailers for the later movies in this series. I wrote down expectations big dumb action and (laughs) i have to say this movie was smaller and smarter than i was expecting i think maybe the later films it seems like they've gone a slightly uh slightly different direction uh (laughs) compared to this one (laughs) yeah i mean this one is you know loosely kind of rooted in some version of reality uh a prettier version um but uh yeah no no nuclear subs nobody flying out of planes uh i take it that's what that start that stuff starts happening in the later ones (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like crazy things happen. Oh like boy. I said, the trailer for one of the movies, they like drive. I think it's like The Rock drives a car through a skyscraper, something like that. Oh my god. <laughs> oh yeah. That's an, yeah, yeah. That's really intense. Don't cars don't fly. Cars don't fly. Yeah, I mean, most of my other notes were primarily, like, 2001 notes, so things like... <laughs> like I mean, all the music in this? Oh, I actually really liked the music. I thought it was great. Yeah. And it was very 2001 music, but it was, like, I, I appreciated the music. No, more like the 2001 CGI um, <laughs> that wasn't stellar, <laughs> but, I mean, that's just, like, that's something you embrace. And also, the I mean, like, the fashion, which, like, it's just very, very, very of its era. <laughs> A lot of a lot of lower midriffs, which I, I, I don't know how much either of you pay attention to this stuff. I assume not much, but it's always like I, the 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 strip of the midriff that is fashionable, you know, changes throughout time. So right now, you know, Eric, Eric is kind of looking at me blankly. I can't see your face, Ken. But uh, <laughs> right right now, right now, midriffs are like very, very high. And in 2001, they were like belly button and below. And as so I was getting a kick out of that personally. That has nothing to do with the movie and just my own personal, like, oh, look at it being 2001 in this movie. <laughs> also, like, all the dudes are in tank tops. Like, does nobody have anything with the with the sleeve? Uh, uh, you know what? I do not object to that, <laughs> personally. <laughs> anyway, so there, there was a, I don't know if it's an urban legend or if it's actually true, but I had heard something about how, uh, Vin Diesel has it in his contract that 
Um, he needed to get some arm time. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I wonder if if it was, you know, like, because he, I think he's still fairly young in this one, so I don't know if it was oh, after yeah, this one young. or 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 if it was before this one or it's just a thing or or if in fact it really is a, an urban legend. So I, on the topic of Vin Diesel, um, this is very early on in the movie where um, Dom is at the bar and he gets called on to break up the fight outside. Um, one of his first lines in the movie is very loud and gravelly. Hey man, you're using my face. I'm in your face. <laughs> Relax! Don't push it! You embarrass me! And I like I could not not hear the Groot voice, the the I am Groot voice in that. Like I, I it's like it's it, it's so it's so weird. Even though I know that this is the reason he is like so famous, like this is like the thing that put him on the map. Yeah. Because uh, because no one saw the Iron Giant, and this was like one of his first movies after that. Like was he the um, voice of the Iron Giant? Really? You didn't know that? Yeah. No. He, that, that, I mean, I yeah, saw no. that I saw that movie like in elementary school, so like I didn't know who Vin Diesel was. <laughs> but like even though i i know that this is why people know him why he's famous like it it, it was it was so hilarious to me like just the, imagining you know um I, I i couldn't separate the two in my mind but then later on in the movie he talks like a normal human being so <laughs> <laughs> nice i also i also have to say michelle rodriguez is and so is super great in this movie like i really yeah. i really liked her a lot um she was i i was you know for obvious reasons on board with that character from the very beginning. Like one of the first things we see her do like is when they get back to the house and uh, Vin Diesel and the guy in the weird mesh tank top, um, <laughs> whatever his name is, uh, the one who almost dies at the end. Yeah. They, uh, Vince, I think they're like, they're like getting into it. They're starting to fight. And it like the camera just like zooms in on her face and her, like her, her expression of just like, Oh my God, these, children are fighting again and i have to break up this fight <laughs> here we go like it was just it was just like so perfect and it's like okay we get we get this this character like she's here i'm i'm sold on her like i liked her a lot continue obviously obviously we both really liked this movie i think is what we're getting from this conversation i i like this yeah i think uh i as we've covered previously in our when we talked about the beauty and the beast the secret to happiness is low expectations yeah. and i went into this movie with very low expectations and was very pleasantly surprised i really enjoyed a lot of this <laughs> well yeah and i like i feel like i have to go watch the second one because like i want to know it didn't it didn't really resolve so like I mean, it resolved, but kind of not. So, like, I don't know. I want to know what happens, like, with Paul Walker. And <laughs> does he get in trouble with the police? I don't know. You know, I've actually never watched the second one. Huh. Really? Jumped right to Tokyo Drift? Yeah. I mean, for me, the first one, watching the first one um, at the premiere was so traumatizing. Not because it was a bad movie, but just because it, you know, like, as as I was watching, I just kept taking mental notes about how none of this actually happened. Um, <laughs> like, why is everybody so pretty? Why does no nobody have sleeves on? You know, like so. Uh, and I, I skipped the second one. Heard it uh, wasn't one of the best in the series. And I think when by the time the third one comes, um, I think they figured out they needed to bring back more of the original cast. I think I, I don't remember who exactly is in the second one, but um, I think Vin Diesel isn't in the second one. What? Really? Wow. Right, right. That's so they tried to go in a different direction and then the you know, the people realize that like actually people love the first one probably because of the cast. Um and, and everyone after that it remained, you know, the, the most of the cast remained. That's so interesting too, because like I said, the ending feels feels so well set up for a sequel. Oh my god, you're right. 
Yeah, no. I mean, Paul, so Paul Walker's in it, but then, yeah, no no Vin Diesel. It's Tyrese Gibson and Eva Mendez and Ludacris and not any of the same people. Huh. Wow, that's so weird. Yeah, and, and sort of later on, um, I, I think with Tokyo Drift, they were still somewhat rooted in reality, and then after that, they just took it in this whole different direction where it's just <laughs> it's more like superhero Marvel territory than than you know kids on the street. So, like, what was your reaction when, like, when this turned into that kind of, like, superhero style? When this turned into this gigantic, you know, franchise, like, w- was that a complete shock to you? Like, were you, like, like I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how you felt as all this evolved from the point of them adapting the original article to then this first movie and then this becoming, you know, one of the biggest movie franchises kind of today you know um just just walk us through like what, what, what was your what was your reaction to all that um you know to be honest i don't try not to think too much about it for me the shock of it all um i, I kind of dealt with it by the time the second one came out that yeah. <laughs> you know i had written the story and then it was so loosely based it you know based on, on the story but yet reflected you know just enough of what people were interested in, in in the original story but then by the second and third it was just a completely different thing um it just sort of became this thing where, you know, some of my best friends would, and it, these these movies would come out like once a year for you know over the last almost decade. Uh, so once a year, especially after Twitter was invented, uh, it was an opportunity for my friends to make fun of me um, for <laughs> not making four billion dollars, you know, off of this franchise. But for me, it's like I got paid for a story twice, so that's pretty cool. Um, and I, you, yeah. know, you know, I did some consulting, but it wasn't a lot of work to make this thing happen. Um, I'm just happy that, uh, you know, this kind of representation on screen, albeit crazy um, and, and kind of hilarious, um, actually makes money. That, you know, it does say something in Hollywood that yeah. Um, yeah. You, know, you, you don't need to whitewash roles as they you know continue to do today to make money. Yeah. This enormously successful franchise. Are there more of these in Star Wars? I mean, yeah. Uh, well, no, I think Star Wars just reached eight movies with, uh, oh, with, with Rogue, Rogue One. One. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. there, yeah, there's seven in the core franchise and then Rogue One. So, yeah, it's even with Star Wars anyway. <laughs> although I'm sure it doesn't have like a whole world of novels and things. But although maybe it does. I don't know. Honestly, there might be. <laughs> yeah, I hope not. I'm sure there's fan fiction. <laughs> I haven't looked at it, but I'm sure it exists. <laughs> But it's also interesting that this sort of this movie, like, like, like you mentioned, it came out after Gone in 60 Seconds. But like I looked it up during that scene where they're all showing off like all the crazy stuff they've done, all the modifications they've made to their cars. I looked this up and it was like a couple years before Pit My Ride on MTV, where that was like, you know, um, I guess a couple movies into this franchise when that when that was a thing. like. Um, and then there's also briefly a shot of a guy playing a, a PlayStation racing game, possibly <laughs> Gran Turismo. It's kind of I, I only got a quick look at it, but like um, it, it's really interesting how how this kind of as a relatively grounded movie became the basis for a real like resurgence in sort of car culture and, and pop culture and movies and video games and all that. Um, one of the big things I kept on noting as I was watching was how much more of, and this will mean nothing to Emily, but how much more of Grand Theft Auto made sense to me now. Um, because they, they just shamelessly have ripped off so, so much of like just like little locations that are in this movie and just like things that happen here and just sort of the general feel of, you when, know. 
if you go fast enough, you can get away from the police. You when know? did those start <laughs> coming out, Grand Theft Auto? The I feel like that started coming this, right? out. Yeah, but the most is the real. I'm really thinking of the most recent Grand Theft Auto game that came oh. out in 2013, which is in LA and which has a lot of car racing in it. There's a huge <laughs> amount of car racing in it. Uh, that that like, um, I was having deja vu constantly. Um, just for that game. Yeah, there's also it all. Um, I don't know. I don't know how the years match up, but um, Electronic Arts also had a series of games called. Um, Need for Speed, which yeah. you know a lot of it was like you know uh, you know either evading cops or you know racing or crashing into other cars. So it had a kind of street racing feel to it. Um, hmm. And then that you're right that that game that the guy plays in in this car is um, uh, Gran Turismo. I, ca- I called it. <laughs> yeah, it's and uh, it's shocking how early that was. It's just that version of the game looked really pixelated, and now it's just such an amazing kind of thing on screen. Um, but it's like this franchise that like will never end and has just gotten more popular over the years. Yeah. Here's a question I had. Well, and I know, I know you, you sort of already addressed like, you know, a lot of it, they, they kind of, you know, pretty, prettied up for, you know, to Hollywoodify the, the racing scene that you were a part of or that you were reporting on. But, um, I was, I was really curious cause like the first race they go to, like, you know, it's at night and it's in some kind of like, you know, vacant warehousey kind of place and they're you know they've got a police scanner that they're like checking it feels very like it's clearly an underground illegal situation they're like worried about the cops right and then later in the movie they have this whole big like multi-day rally thing that's like far away and and it race wars or whatever it was called and i was just kind of like <laughs> race wars and yeah and they had they had like hired like some sort of security company all this stuff and i'm just kind of like how can that possibly be a thing? Like how, like does, does something like that, ex- does, do, do things like that exist where like there's somehow out there racing that blatantly in broad daylight without any seeming concern? Or is that like a movie invention? No, that's the thing. Actually race wars was, um, it's really called that. It, there are, I think multiple versions of that. Um, <laughs> Wow. I don't remember exactly, but I think that phrase even shows up in the, the original story. It was called Race Wars or something, some permutation of words that look kind of like that. But it was a thing. It was in you know California where there's a lot of space. I mean, the cops are generally there to you know make sure that they don't kill anybody or each other. So if you're like out in the middle of nowhere, you're not killing anything. Um, and especially right. if you've sort of rented the space and you have the rights to use it, then there's not much they can really do to you um the the race the kind of final race i wrote about actually happened on a racetrack and there are plenty uh, on a drag race track and there are plenty of these all over uh the country so um you know there are legal outlets for this where um there's like proper kind of security and there's proper medical you know uh, equipment nearby um you know so it's not like a completely illegal thing and you know the thing i wrote about was about how he was actually trying to get off the streets and build a career for himself right um and actually the real guy ended up did building a career for himself he's now uh owns his own shop and um you know is is a tuner for a bunch of uh racers out there not just drag racing but also road racing oh wow that's awesome so like um i'm, I'm wondering about the, the, the i'm sorry to be like we're almost interviewing you about like you know, movie <laughs> ver- ver- versus real life but this is this is how uninformed emily and i both are about yeah, like car I... culture um it's just like the 
in the movie, there's a whole lot of talk about, obviously, with, with Paul Walker's character being an undercover cop. That's a big part of the drama. But even, you know, when he's not in there, there's like a big kind of, there's a lot of anxiety about narcs and about, you know, cops and about sort of the illegality of, of what people are doing. Um, was that like a, a big thing that people would talk about, the real people would talk about as sort of the, the quasi-legal or sometimes illegal, you know, nature of what they were doing? Um, were people really afraid of, you know, being, uh, you know, made more public in that way? Not really. I mean, it was mostly the scene I was, and it's just like, these are just kids who, you know, are, have a hobby. Um, and this one happens to be cars and uh, I don't know if there still are, but there were tuner shops all over the city at the time where you would just go and hang out in the afternoon and there were couches and you talk about cars and car parts and you park your car outside and hang out. So it, it was a very normal thing. And, you know, some people brought their kids with them. Um, I mean, in the movie, it was more about this car theft ring. And ironically, right. uh, I never told, I don't think I ever told the producers at Universal, but the story I actually wanted to write about was about a car theft ring, and I never really? managed. Really? Yeah, I never managed to break into it. So I had just found the most interesting guy um, in the scene and decided, you know, why don't I learn more about this guy? And it was a fascinating story. But what kept me going back to this uh, this one shop uh, in in Queens to do my research was there was this big car theft thing happening at the time, and as a matter of fact, it was this really dramatic thing where one of the kids uh, race cars got stolen right in front of the shop. And it was this big, huge chase along the Long Island Expressway. And Oh my God. And then one of these cars crashed. And it turns out that these, these, uh, this car theft ring of people had stolen two cars and purposely crashed one of them so that all the attention, all the police and all the other car, all the kids would race to that scene while it took the other more expensive car the other way. Wow. It was insane. It was just like I was—I'm hooked. You know, like I want the story. I—I want—I want to watch that movie. <laughs> well, they made the movie. You know, <laughs> they made a car theft ring movie. True. So, yeah, it was, it was just sort of ironic that like they, and I don't even remember if I had mentioned that that was a story I was looking for, but never really, uh, never really oh. got to. Maybe by trying to punch up the story, they accidentally got yeah, they accidentally. The truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the movie's essentially. Um, you know, it's, uh, in, in a way, it's it's Point Break meets West Side Story. I was gonna say, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say that it that like that's that's one of my notes that I wanted to bring up was like how how Point Breaky it is. Like it's so it's so Point Break. But yeah. I have, but I will say, and like I am loath to say that anything is ever better than Point Break. But um, <laughs> but you know what? Introducing introduce and like obviously I knew because like it says right in the synopsis of the movie that Paul Walker is a cop. But introducing his whole undercover thing the way that they did, where he was just like this guy that you're, you know, sort of rooting for and he's trying to infiltrate this group and whatever. And they, then you find out he gets arrested. But, oh, wait, he's not really getting arrested. He's a like, that's such a better way of structuring a story than like than like Keanu Reeves whole process of like trying to learn how to surf and like. I, I'm telling you, they're they're surfers. I think I think the dead presidents are surfers. Like this is this is a such a it's like be, it's a better Point Break. I did not read the synopsis before watching this movie, so there was a total surprise to me. I had I had no idea because I was so ignorant of this movie that I just they got to that point and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> this the star of the movie is is not what I thought. It was very Crazy. well done. Yeah, you know, damn Amazon with their little like like the first words it says like a cop infiltrates. A- <laughs> 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 Yeah, 
Uh, I'm just going to make one note. I don't know too many things better than Keanu Reeves mouth breathing through a movie. But that said, you know, I (laughs) might agree with you. Um, And yeah, I remember that actually came up when for uh, a millisecond there, they uh, the producers had asked. So, you know, what do you think the story should be? And of course, I'm a writer. I'm like, did you read the, you know, the effing story? That's my story. You know, know, like, like, oh yeah, we'll get somebody else to write the script. (laughs) Before he hung up the phone, he said something like, I I see Point Break meets West Side Story. I'm like, how do you see that? (laughs) I I mean, I've certainly seen in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Clearly, clearly they had, they had a vision. Yeah. (laughs) You know, add two oiled up dudes and boom, you got a movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's everybody that's, sweating. Right? Yeah. <laughs> basically, basically the Hollywood strategy. Yeah. My only other thought, too, on the movie, and this is not this since this wasn't, I, I assume, an element of of your original story. This is just kind of a general comment. That seems like a really elaborate way of jacking a tractor trailer. Like, it's very <laughs> it, it seems so much simpler when the Sopranos do it. Like, I. You just like stand in the road with guns and they stop. Like I, I, I the gra- ho- grappling hooks and jumping from cars and it seems like an awful lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, lots of stunt people are employed. <laughs> True. <laughs> Don't hate employment. <laughs> that is a very good point. I, I was I was really uh, making note of how, like I said earlier, how grounded the movie felt. You know, for for almost all of it until the scene at the end where Letty drives underneath the, the tractor trailer <laughs> at speed on the highway, and it's like, okay, I can see uh, if people reacted to that, I can see how that could then lead to lead to later crazier Craziest, stunts in future yeah. movies. <laughs> I I do have to also say um, one of the one uh, one of the bars in savannah uh where i live always has like random things on netflix playing on the tvs behind the bar just like on mute while other things are happening um and last night they were playing one of those that that like grindhouse duo of movies that the tarantino movies and it was it's the one that has um rosario dawson and other mary elizabeth winstead and they're driving around in a car and uh Kurt Russell's chasing them death proof death proof. yeah death proof so that was that was on um and like so we my friends and I were there to see a band and like instead we ended up completely glued to the scene where for like 20 minutes of the movie one of the women is like riding on the hood of the car and at first she's doing it like I guess for fun and then then you know Kurt Russell is like shooting at them and chasing them and all of this kind of stuff. So it was it was very weird to watch this right after that. I was like I'm just watching a lot of people clinging to hoods of vehicles right now, and like it's very very stressful. <laughs> also, aren't hoods of cars and trucks really hot when they're driving? Good point. I feel like I feel like that would be unpleasant. I don't know. I guess Emily I sh- has found a a plot hole in a Fast and the Furious movie <laughs> series. Shut it all down. They can't make any more. This is I, just I, I implausible. I suppose I shouldn't be looking for realism in my car chases. I, <laughs> I don't know what's the matter with me. <laughs> the only other thing that I really made note of while I was watching this was, uh, and this is something I, I I love about like movies that are uh, from the past, but not so far in the past that, that this they is can what be I mean with, old. with the fashion and the CGI and stuff. Right. The, the, while you paid attention to the fashion, I'm paying attention to all of this, the technology. So the fact that in order to look at the 3d model of the car, he's <laughs> a floppy disk, uh, yes. or the, uh, or the fact that a, a big portion of the, the crime is jacking Panasonic DVD players and digital cameras. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you could get those for very cheap now, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't need to rob anyone to get those. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't really have anything interesting to say there. I just, I just thought I just thought it was really funny. Nor did I have anything interesting to say about midriffs, but it's just <laughs> aggressively oh aggressively uh, you know 16 years ago i have one final comment um which is really only relevant because it is the particular day and week that it is which for listeners who will be hearing this you know probably a month or two from now oh i know what you're gonna say yeah, yeah. <laughs> um today today is is two days after the fire festival debacle exploded on the internet and so the fact that ja rule is in this movie was yes. just a goddamn delight so we, we should like, there explain. There he is. That's where Ja Rule is. He's right here on my TV. By, by the time this comes out, people will have maybe forgotten. Ja Rule <laughs> organized so? a like $12,000 ticket like music festival, which was a Lord of the Flies scale disaster. <laughs> and the thing that was the, the, the best thing about that, about watching this movie the same day as, as that festival, was that the race wars, like, they made a point of showing how well organized the, this the, this event was. <laughs> they had they had security checking the cars and, like, marking them and guiding them to places. It seemed so much better organized <laughs> than everything I was reading about the fire Festival. <laughs> yeah. And, and Jarro plays Edwin in this, the guy who, the guy who uh, screams, no, Monica, dur during, during the, the early drag race. <laughs> Anyway, that was just a topical, timely delight. Yeah. Uh, so, Ken, before before we wrap things up, is there anything else about this movie that uh, you think you think uh, you want to br br bring to the podcast here? Any 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 burning hot takes? Uh, no, not really. Well, all right. If I have one recommendation, I think the third one was pretty cool, Tokyo Drift. Um, yeah. I I could be wrong, but um, I think it might have popularized the. Um, uh, the, the style of driving, you know, drifting. Um, uh, and, and it's such a cool thing to, to look at. And it's, it's become such a big thing here. But, you know, essentially overdriving, I think over, oversteering your car. Um, yeah. And using that as a way to get around corners. Um, and it's just such a almost balletic, you know, way of um, using your car um, around, around, uh, around mountains and, and, you know, corners and, it's just so cool, and um, I think like that is one of the you know few lasting kind of influences that that movie has had um, in in culture. That that's become a big thing, both not just in video games, but also in the sport and um, you know in, in, in the whole hobby. Definitely check it out. I don't know if anyone's gonna like actually go buy nuclear submarines, but like you know at least the third one had drifting. <laughs> it's still some tether to reality in that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, like one, I'll, I'll say one last thing um, that just sort of in the uh, back back in the early 2000s when I was doing research into this, um, one of the reasons why I was also interested was it's one of the few things that the um, Asian American community or what the Asian American community um, did to transform this part of car culture. Uh, it's one of the few things that has spread so widely across America and across across you know across the globe, and I can't think of many other things that. Um, you know, Asian, not Asians, but just Asian Americans um, have had impact on American culture. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, you say in your original article that the people you were writing about were New Yorkers who were sort of inspired by the Asian American Southern California 
car drag racing community, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was all it was. You know, I'm sure other people did as well. But as as a scene and as a movement to um, empower these really shitty cars um, was a unique and specifically uh, Hondas and Acuras um, was a uniquely kind of Asian American thing that spread really quickly uh, and widely just because how accessible that that was and. A lot of that influence had come from Japan, um, from kids who you know were Japanese American in California who had might have gone had gone back to uh, Japan for a visit and brought that back here. Yeah. Um, and that like you don't even know it's an Asian American thing anymore because it's such a such an American. So thing. widespread. Right. Yeah. So that was you know one reason why I was so attracted to this story. Hmm. And then this movie, they they turn the Asian Americans into the uh, into, into the, the villains, villains yeah. pour, pouring oil all over the some some poor sap into his <laughs> mouth, like oh, <ugh>. yeah. <laughs> oil boarding him. They were such dicks, right? Like in this movie, yeah, like, they're really like, evil. I, <laughs> like I drives back to shoot his car up, like <laughs> his motors. I'm like, damn, that is a di- what an asshole. You know? I mean, seriously, the compa- the comparison to the villains from Die Another Day is like really apt. Like they're like Bond villain level, like sadistic madman like what is that see see this this is how you know that emily really loves james bond movies is that she has not wiped die another day from her memory she, she actually know, can recall. i've tried but i can't like it's just oh <laughs> i wish i could no I, I i i hear you i mean i have ptsd for the madonna song from that so you oh. know <laughs> um anyway so On that uh note. This has been really great. Ken, thanks so much for, for, for joining us. Yeah, it's been really you. awesome having you on the podcast here. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. And uh, we always, we always uh, sign off by telling people where else they can find us online. So we'll start with you, Ken. Uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, find your non-car racing-related thoughts online? Oh, man. I, I actually haven't written in quite some time. Uh, I, I edit now. So I, uh, I'm at Newsweek uh, magazine. So Newsweek.com is where I spend most of my time. I've heard of it. And you know, but you'll, you'll see traces of my influence. You know, but you'll never know it's me. <laughs> and behind the scenes, behind the screen, somewhere. Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where I am. And you're on on Twitter as well, right? Uh, tw- tweeting about uh, Newsweek and, and other other news of the day. And off color jokes. Yep. Oh, always fun. Just before crossing the line, where I'll I'll get fired. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll promote promote you here. Uh, Ken's Twitter is at KenLee729. Uh, Emily, where can people find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter at EJReports. And I'm on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ. This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob, racing off quarter mile at a time. <laughs> yes, and hopefully not getting hit by a train. This has been Giant Geek vs. Mega Noob. For more, visit GVNPodcast.com. Now everybody just back. My pop city hustlers back. All my hood slimmies and proud of mommy see how we fall up in the clubs. Nothing but love. Plenty bottles of skimmy twisted a sticky bud and it's 50-50 love. All across the board, dog gully, respect gully, never flaws for bro.